did I do a pretty good job of getting through everything, Mike? I think you did. I think you did. The only thing that I'd like to kind of throw out there is that, uh, you know, before I got into this whole podcasting and uh, having a website game, uh, I guess I didn't realize like how many people, um, you know, how few the number of people that are vocal on the internet really are. And if you've got a podcast that you really like, if you've got an author that you really like, um, just get on the internet and start saying, hey, I like this kind of stuff. And uh, you'd be surprised at just how many other people you'll find that like the same kind of stuff and how meaningful that kind of uh, that kind of uh, advertisement, not advertisement, how meaningful that kind of uh, interaction with um, it means to, you know, your your authors that you really like. Oh, hands down. Simply hearing that you like something will not only let the artists know that they should continue to do it, but creating that that group of fans, I think, is really empowering and super badass. So if if we are missing something or you really want us to uh, talk about a particular subject, a particular movie, a particular book, hit us up on uh, Twitter or that Facebook group or just at Signal Horizon on Facebook and say, like, hey, guys, I really want you to talk about this topic because that lets us know that there is an audience out there. It also lets us uh, connect maybe you with that artist and ask them maybe a question if we ever have them on the show. So, yeah, get out there. Be be vocal. We would love to we would love to have you, you know, join the class in any capacity that you could. Or you can just sleep in the back. Whatever. That, yeah, that, yeah. Students do that too. Yep. So, hey, so, talking about something that we've gotten a lot of uh, feedback about is Ginger Snaps. There's a ton of people that just love this movie. Yeah. yeah. It, it is a little surprising we've waited this long. We've gotten a ton of feedback that not only – and we originally thought it was just because the the kind of culty, campy quality to it. And – after spending, you know, more than enough, more than a lot of time getting prepared for tonight's episode, this movie has a shit ton to say. So let's maybe ring that spoiler bell and get to it, Mike. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, before the spoiler bell, let's talk. What's the essential question? Sure. Our essential question today is how does Ginger Snaps handle puberty, the female monster and transfiguration in general? Holy moly, we got a lot to get through, buddy. Let's ring that spo- spoiler bell and uh, start talking about this movie. All right. All right, so IMDb gives the very quick summary of two death-obsessed sisters. Outcasts in their suburban neighborhood must deal with the tragic consequences when one of them is bitten by a deadly werewolf. I've never met I a non-deadly think. werewolf, but hey. Oh, you're just hanging around the wrong crowd. No, no, no. Oh, I yeah. think I think Ginger says it best. All right? Shit, Ginger. Don't we all? When, when I mean, you can remember being a teenager when like, yeah, certainly sex plays yeah, a pretty large priority and all of that, but you're just fucking pissed off at everything. You know, I love it. I love it. This movie is mostly just about wanting to tear shit up and not understanding <laughs> why not everybody else wants to. Yeah. So uh, had you seen this movie before, before I said, hey, let's do it? 
I had not. No, and I've I've got a confession to make. Okay. I don't I don't really like werewolf movies. Yeah. All right. Fair. You know. Okay. But this one's got a lot of stuff to say. So I really I really did like it. Um. I mean, you so like yeah. American Werewolf in London, right? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I think everybody okay. does. If you don't like American Werewolf in London, get out to the principal's <laughs> office now. Yeah. Lord, I'd hate to see that right up. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I agree. I think they, more often than not, they are big misses in my book with some pretty notable exceptions. And, and all three of these movies would probably be some exceptions. Now, I know you... Took the time to watch the original. Did you catch the sequel and then the weirdish prequel period piece? Uh, no. So he. So I'll, I'll link to an article on ThoughtCo about uh, the whole the whole franchise. Um, the original movie Ginger Snaps came out in two thousand. Uh, both the sequels came out in two thousand four, which is a little odd on the timing department. One of them is called Ginger Snaps colon unleashed and the other one is ginger snaps back colon the beginning yeah and uh yeah uh, i what the the latter one is set in 1815 i don't know let's just let's just stick with the original ginger snaps yes oh absolutely and so the bulk <laughs> of our conversation will just be about the first but you really should check the second and third ones out they're not as good but they're really they have that same campy quality that makes them, I think, a ton of fun to watch. And it keeps the same cast. So it has the same uh, two girls. So it has Emily Perkins and, and Catherine Isabel in it still. Mm-hmm. So I think that is an interesting choice. And they kind of become this horror movie you know, duo that I think will stand the test of time, at least in the context of these movies. So... At least in your mind. All right, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Okay. So we're gonna break. Uh, we're gonna break tonight's episode down the same way that we have done kind of most of the episodes of the horror podcast this season. We're gonna talk about the movie. We're gonna talk about the theory, and then we're gonna try to apply some of that theory to our wonderful ginger snaps here. So, you like the movie. What do you think is you know uh, kind of the main driving theme behind it. The main driving theme would be werewolves are dangerous. <laughs> I think that's, that's, it's, that's it's, 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 it's basically one long um, Canadian public service announcement about werewolves and about how they're dangerous and you should look out for them. I think that's pretty fair. <laughs> no, it's not. Come on. I mean, Werewolves are dangerous, dude. Like at at its core, you probably don't yeah. want to fuck around yeah. with them. So, so this is so I don't really like werewolf movies, but I think that this one does a whole lot of stuff. It it gets a lot of the werewolf stuff right, and then it turns a lot of its on, a lot of it on its head, which I think is really really good. Um, I think one of the one of the later articles that we're going to talk about um, had this had this really great quote of of like. So werewolves are um, there's there's a, a lot of blood and there's they're um, connected to um, the cycles of the moon, right? right? So why is it that we never get female werewolves? They're right. almost always male, and that's so that's totally like 
like wow like yeah there's that's a whole like exploration that's like never that's like never done in the werewolf trope kind of genre so that's got some new stuff there and also that whole just suburban kind of wasteland way yeah is just is just great and from the very beginning just kind of the outlook of the of the sisters is is so quintessentially you know high school i don't know it's great i like i loved it yeah uh, i think you're 100 percent right and as much as we joke about you know <laughs> it being a general warning about werewolves i think the movie is really making a much larger argument about um, adolescence and puberty, specifically the adolescence of, of uh, girls. And I think the connection to blood is super important. And it, it is really interesting to see the, the, you know, the kind of the breadth of literature that's been written about it. And John Fawcett, the director, I think does a pretty, pretty good job of leaning into some of those qualities. You know, it's uh it's, it, it is far more than just uh, a campy werewolf movie. Although I will tell you a couple of things specifically about the movie, not necessarily about the theory of the movie, but just shit that I liked. Uh, this movie is entirely practical, right? It's it's all practical effects. And some people may criticize like the werewolves, especially at the end of this movie, as being, you know, not great looking or whatever. But... I really appreciate the fact that there's no CGI. This is an old school horror movie. You know, it's it's uh, lots of, you know, red paint and lots of corn syrup and rubber masked werewolves, you know. So I think that's super cool. And horror is one of the few genres where you can where you can still do that. Right. Or not just still do that, but where you can really connect with an audience because there's a whole big fan base in horror that just loves those practical effects. Right. And and I can't think of another genre where uh, there's like a throwback type of filmmaking that really like captures the core base audience, even though it might kind of alienate some others. Uh, does Does that make any sense? Oh, I think it makes total sense. Yeah. And that kind of freedom to embrace what it is, I think, is super interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like like the, the next Avengers movie, because there will be another Avengers movie. Oh, this when, shit is Spider-Man trailer came out today, man. Yeah. But, but I mean, specifically Avengers movie. There will be another one, because if you, when you make that much money, you have to make a sequel. It's like a law or something. But... um. Yeah, you're not gonna. They're not gonna come out with one that's like, oh, hey, this is kind of the throwback. This is all practical effects. You know, we're really getting back to the core of our audience. No, that's yeah. not gonna happen. You know, right? Yeah. So I think the other thing about this movie that we've already kind of alluded to and joked around about, it is super Canadian. And what I mean by that is, it has a different sense of morality, a different sense of sex, and of maturation than I would argue a lot of American sensibility is uh, the, the kind of prudishness that exists in American media. I don't think we see a ton of, right. We get a little bit of like the high school kids calling ginger a slut and you know, that kind of stuff. But when she announces to the school nurse at the high school, right. 
She's like, I got my period and I'm growing hair in weird places, right? They're like, oh, yeah, totally natural. Not a big deal. And then they give her some condoms and they're like, play safe. <laughs> you know, like. American audiences, particularly in the Midwest, are like, you know, suburban women are losing their shit about that particular thing. You know, it is uh, an ongoing debate whether or not we should vaccinate our kids against HPV here in Kansas City, which is it floors me that we're even having that conversation because it might increase our teenagers appetite for having sex, which seems ridiculous so it's it's got i think a much more liberal sensibility and some of that is hollywood ish but i think a lot of that is where the film originates and it's kind of sensibility well hey man uh look on the bright side at least um at least the general populace has gotten beyond uh the debate about whether or not to give their kids the mmr vaccine so mm, yeah a lot of them have really but <laughs> so there are 800 <laughs> cases of measles in new york right now so uh yeah oh, good luck with that oh boy oh boy yeah, yeah. so before this ta- turns into an anti-vax podcast um <laughs> what the <laughs> ultimate horror movie yeah <laughs> anti-vax Hey, that's how we'll make our millions. All right, we'll produce that movie next. Okay. This summer, in a world without vaccines. They have mercury in them. Yeah, all right. Okay. So, uh, one last thing maybe to mention specifically about the movie. So, I mentioned John Fawcett earlier. He directed uh, the movie. But he did a couple of other things that I think bear mentioning because they are fantastic, really cool projects. He has done a number of episodes for Man in the High Castle, which is fucking badass. It's one of my favorite shows Mm. on. And he did almost every episode of Orphan Black. Have you seen that? Oh, really? Yeah. Orphan Orphan Black is a fantastic, fantastic show. Yeah. Yep. And very cool. uh, The last thing I would mention about the cast and crew Emily Perkins has done some stuff post Ginger Snaps, but I think maybe the rest of our audience will know her best as uh, uh, Becky Rosen, who was on Supernatural, which is going to come in later. So 
Yeah. Becky Rose in Winchester uh, has kind of an extended role in a number of Supernatural uh, episodes. So everything's going to kind of come full circle. Just give it time. Give it time, yeah. So, hey, super, super smart movie. Like, like, like we talked about before, uh, kind, kind of some subversions or, or inversions of the of the, uh, the the typical werewolf trope. Another one that I'm going to throw out, because I think we might talk about it later, is uh, typically in werewolf movies, when you kill a werewolf, what happens to it? Uh, I think I know what you're going to say here. Um, okay. That it turns back into the human? It turns back into a human, yeah. And I think that's kind of important, because in typical werewolf folk- folklore, um, this is like a curse that somebody's got, but it's kind of it's kind of temporary, you know. It 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 doesn't it doesn't follow them through death, always. Typically, it doesn't. But here, you werewolf the whole time, bro. Yeah, man. And and I don't having rewatched it again for this episode. I don't know if I. Like, is it the middle of a full moon cycle or is it just that slowly but surely they're turning into a werewolf forever? Like during the night, during the day, during the whatever. And so if you die post the full transformation that like, I don't know, you're just a werewolf forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think that that definitely falls more in line with the... uh, the reading that it's about pu- puberty, definitely, because uh, there's no there's no coming back from puberty. Yep, there isn't. Nope, it's all over after that. And and this would probably yep. be a good time to transition into some of the theory because as we move there, there is a fantastic article that we will link to uh, called "Out by 16: Queer Girls and Ginger Snaps" by Tannis McDonald. In Janice, uh, Young People, Texts, and Culture from 2011. And she speaks specifically to that, that this is not a uh, bi-directional shift or change. Both, both of the lead characters are fundamentally changed forever because of, you know, the, the change that happens to Ginger. So as a result... They are different people from the beginning to the end of the movie. And the fact that you can't shift back out of that hairy, bleeding beast or whatever is important to the development of both characters. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And it it, it kind of, um, and we've talked about this multiple times before, about the, the, the general horror plot, which is like everything's kind of normal and okay, and then something messes it up. And then the characters have to fight whatever it is or get away or whatever. And in the end, everything goes back to the way it was. Um, and this is definitely not one of those films, uh, which oh, I think makes oh, yeah. it, I think, is, is another reason that it makes it kind of an, an outlier and a really special thing in, in horror. I think that, um, and I think one of the reasons that people just still, like, really love this movie. There's a lot of things about it to really like, and it's so different. And... Uh, yeah, it's important. Yeah, so that article is super interesting because it mentions a number of things I think we're going to spend some time talking about. But uh, McDonald, that, go ahead. No, that's that's the one that's available on uh, academia.edu, right? Or yep. academia.com? 
Yeah, we'll we'll okay. send a link to it. it yeah, we'll it send a link to it. It may require an account, but it won't it won't require any kind of payment or anything. Yeah, and then and then well, you have to pay in spam emails from that website, but whatever, it's fine. There's yeah. tons and tons of like academic articles on there. You will get spam emails that say like, "Hey, your your name has been has been mentioned in 15 articles." Like, no, it's not. Nobody's talking about me. Come on. Yeah, but you know, whatever. I mean, it's, they have four thousand weird... articles mentioned uh, the horror pod class last week. It was nuts. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they 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 have some weird. Um, they have a weird business model, but uh, it's it's free. I haven't paid them a dime. And there's all kinds of great stuff on there. So go check it out. Yep. Um, so. So, hey, man, another thing. We've said the word werewolf like probably 98 times already in this podcast. How many times do they actually say it in the movie, though? They only say it once. And most of the time, Ginger's sister only refers to it with her boyfriend as lycanthrope, right? I think it's lycanthrope. Oh, yeah. Lycanthropy. Yeah. Yes, yes. The, the technical term. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is that I think they don't want to get bogged down in the kind of central issues of what a werewolf is. They want it. They want to belabor that metaphor a bit. And I totally get it. And I totally understand it. And at least according to uh, McDonald, they really want the issue of young lesbianism to play a larger role in the discussion of what's going on in the movie. I, when I initially read the, you know, kind of the first couple of paragraphs of the paper, I was interested, but I didn't know if I bought into it because there is certainly a, a level of intimacy between those two sisters, but there is, you know, McDonald rightfully points out there is a deep level of romanticism. There's a deep level of physical intimacy that they have that speaks to a kind of budding uh, queer theory element of the film that I thought was totally fascinating and not something that I picked up the first couple of times that I've seen the film. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it was mentioned there or in a different article, but, uh, you know, the um, the literal translation of the, of the French um, title is Between Sisters. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, because because apparently in France they don't have ginger snaps, which are are tasty, and oh, I, uh, I don't know why they don't have them. Snap. Yeah, I mean they they have they have a great culinary culture. Why don't you have why don't you know what ginger snaps is? But yeah, I don't I don't want to cast aspersions on French on the on my French friends. So parlez-vous français, oui oui. <laughs> uh, but McDonald rightfully points out, just like werewolf is kind of the. Uh, the banned word of the movie, you know, it's it's the word that will not be spoken. So too is lesbianism or or being a lesbian, the kind of feeling that one has in adolescence, and certainly is present in this film. You know, they talk around the feelings that they have for one another. They talk around the overt sexuality between two women, but they never use that term. And I think that is a really critical element of a queer reading of this film for sure. Huh? Yeah. I, t I totally, totally love that. Love that article. In fact, there was a word in there. I'd never heard before. I never read before. Uh, I've actually, pr I've never heard it. So I will probably totally mis mispronounce it, but it's called 
intimatopic. Mm-hmm. Intimatopic. So what what is what is in in, in the the relationship between the two sisters is de, is described as intimatopic living. Yep. In in that what does intimatopic mean? Uh intimatopic means living in and through one another's intimacy. So taking part in one another's intimacy, uh having the intimacy that your uh, partner has with somebody else either add to or diminish the own relationship that you have with one another. And I like in the context of the movie, you notice the girls have their own boyfriends, have their own relationships, but constantly feel connected to one another. So they have this feeling of like, don't leave me, you know, like I feel like you're going to leave me for this person or, you know, the fact that you are, uh, having sex or dating or whatever, this other person that it takes something away from me, and that there's this collective sense of intimacy that really is the driving force behind the sisters' relationship. Yeah, in that in that the whole um, uh, the whole dramatic and interpersonal um, arc of the movie keeps coming back to that. Um, is 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 intimatopic, I guess. But uh, totally. since I never heard since I never heard that word before, um, I wanted to know where it came from. Right? I was like, I've I've, I've never heard this before. Where, where does it come from? It actually comes from some academic readings and uh, uh, work on slash fic. Have you ever heard of slash fic? Uh, only because you told me about it about 30 minutes ago, but, but, but explain, explain to us what it is. So, so, so in that article, um, the, the, the word enematopic is, um, is, is, is references back to a, a separate article that is all about slash fic. And it is a form of, um, fan fiction where basically two characters that don't get together in the show or the movie or the books do um and it is it is typically um is and, by, typically, and by get together what do you mean like like they go to Domino's and share pizza what do you mean it's 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 typically typically they have some sex yeah <laughs> and, right. it's, and, 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 and it's typically two male characters too um so in in in, in the very first um, academic, uh, work that was done on on slash fic, um, two main um, types were identified. One of them was uh, romanotopic, which is focused almost exclusively on like the sexual act, and then intimatopic, which is fo- focused far more on the on the interpersonalness and like the just the the intimacy without sex, I guess. Um, so so those two main. Uh, main modes were identified and kind of analyzed. Yeah. And I think you probably see a little bit of both, right? There are a couple of moments that, uh, McDonald highlights. Number one, the piercing of the belly button Mm -hmm. is very clearly a stand in for, you know, like, uh, any kind of penetration. Right. And that's, that's pretty present. And then there is an explanation that Ginger gives her sister later in the film of like, 
maybe eating meat or turning into a werewolf or something along those lines where she explains it as like seeing fireworks and explosions in your mind and, you know, very clearly a reference to, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of uh, sexual awakening or whatever, right? Uh, so those are very clearly sexual references, but the bulk of the relationship is about them being intimate and close. And, uh, while it may have a physical side to it is a lot more about how emotionally connected they are in having a shared experience, right? Mm -hmm. Because their existence kind of sucks in this suburban hellhole and they don't want to leave one another to you know, to, to face it alone. Yeah. Well, so go ahead. So I actually did some more reading about slash fic, and I found a really interesting um, thesis article by Joseph Brennan uh, from the University of Sydney. Go drunken kangaroos. Um, I was going to make a kangaroo noise, but I don't know what noise they make. I don't. Do they make noise? That's that's what makes them so dangerous. Is they don't make any noises and they sneak up on you. The and silent pushing, boxers. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. So it's called "I'm Your Worst Fear, I'm Your Best Fantasy: New Approach, uh, New Approaches to Slash Fiction," and he focuses completely on slash fiction that has been written about the television series Supernatural. Ha-ha. Yeah. So anyways, uh, the what I was really interested in is he's got two additional forms of uh, the romantotopic and the intimatopic. He's got two more, and one of them is the monstrotopic. And I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe that is a um, – maybe that is what's going on here, right? Sure. So I read about it. it totally not. But uh, – <laughs> You know, but hey, I I learned something new. And uh, so, what is monster topic? I'm dying to know. So, monster topic is actually a more of a reaction to um, homosexuality, right? So, the uh, because most slash fic is 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 homosexual in nature, the uh, intimatopic and the romantotopic seem to embrace the homosexuality, whereas the monstrotopic seems to keep it want, want, want to keep it at like arm's distance. And the monstrous as- aspect is a lot of times um, some sort of some sort of outside force that comes in and like basically kind of makes the characters gay. So like the one like w- w- one of the ones that he identified is like a lot of like aliens show up. And put the characters together, and you can't like, um, it, it's not really on the characters anymore. It's on something else. Um, so, I don't know. I thought that was kind of and so and so. So his interpretation of that is that it's a um, it's a reaction against um, against the against the homosexuality. It's kind of like a uh, like a queer panic type thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, so. I mean, it, but but anyways, I the one thing above anything else that I learned about this is that a lot of times, especially in uh, uh, kind of like gender studies or these very obscure um, uh, theses or whatever, you know, it's very easy to kind of like make fun of them or whatever. Like, oh, really? Like you slash fic that has to do with a. Uh, uh, the CW show, like Supernatural, like like really? Are you kidding? But this is actually like super interesting, and uh, you give it a chance, you start reading it, you're like, wow, this is this is a, this is answering or trying to answer some questions that are I don't know, really 
pretty pretty important. Yeah, no, I know. I, I totally dig that. I think uh, I, there is a fair amount of fan fiction out there. So any any way that we can categorize it and look at its kind of use of intimate to- topicness, I think is interesting. No, I mean, well, I mean, so think about it this way. Um, there is a lot of fanfic that is written. There's and there's a lot of fanfic that is read across the internet and it, just in general, not just slash fic, but just tons and tons of it. And you got to think that must mean something about us as a society, right? Sure. That, that this is like a new mode that we're engaging in, or maybe it isn't a, a new mode. Mode. Maybe there's been fan fiction being written the whole time. You know, those ki- those kind of things are like super super interesting. Oh man! So you think if we dig hard enough, we could find like some great expectations fanfic? You know, I know I know there's Don Quixote fanfic. Uh, interesting. Oh yeah, no, no. The the uh, there's a sequel to Don Quixote that was that was written that was like basically Don Quixote fanfic, and it sold like a ton of copies, and the guy made a bunch of money, and then went and there was and then there was another guy, and then there was another guy. So when yeah. Cervantes came back and wrote the real one. Don Quixote actually talks about in the book. He talks about, you know, like, oh, you heard all those other stories. Those were all bullshit. Yeah, but <laughs> does he end up having sex with Pancho? Uh, you know, Pancho Villa. I think it's Sancho. Sancho, Sancho Villa. Yeah, there's no Villa in it, dude. And, it's just and Sancho. Well, I, I don't know. know. Where the fuck, whatever. I don't, I, <laughs> I will do some research and see if I can come up with some Don Quixote slash fic. Back to this movie. Yeah. So now would be a good time to move to application because I think there are some, uh, you know, some strings that we need to tie here at the end. Number one, we've talked our way around the concept of transfiguration for a while now. So I think it's really important to get a working definition as we tie up these loose ends. So the definition of transfiguration in its most basic form is a change in form or appearance, but it's often uh, associated with Jesus or any other deity that transforms into an exalting or glorifying spiritual change. So it's important, at least according to a couple of the articles that we talked about before, that we see ginger evolve into this form that is a little more uh, open and free and expressive and who she is. And that relationship between her and her sister tends to be uh, reflective, at least according to the McDonald art article we talked about before, a lot more reminiscent of the deepening intimacy between Uh, queer girls and women as they are finding out, uh, you know, the fact that they are lesbians. And I think that concept of transfiguration is super interesting. It is. Yeah. And, and so, so, so transfiguration, I guess the best way to, to, um, to delineate it from just a metamorphosis is that um, it's more than just a, physical change more it's, it's more than just an appearance right and it is something that is that is spiritual and usually kind of good and you wouldn't really think about that being used in the terms of like a werewolf type 
trope, right? Yeah, not typically. Um, and so we'll link to this really cool article in Modern Mythology that talks about transfiguration as a horror concept. This article is badass. But they, and I'll read it to you here directly, transfiguration... Uh, instead offers radical acceptance and a plea to work with change rather than being paralyzed by it. In this sense, transfiguration represents the antithesis to disfiguration, which doesn't have acceptance. So there is like a point in Ginger Snaps or at least movies that exalt uh, transfiguration that like it is natural. It's going to happen. You should accept it and move on. And Ginger 100% gets to this point, right? Where she's like, come join me, B, right? And she's like, mm -hmm. it feels so good. This is exactly where I want to be. And stops shaving the hair off of her legs, right? Uh, you know, is, is open and free in her sexuality is violent right <laughs> you know like yeah. openly starts killing people but i think bit. that is really cool as we look at transfiguration in horror movies the number of times as people turn into monsters they eventually accept the fact that they are going to be a quote unquote monster and like are uh, like totally dig it like give themselves you know give themselves up mm. to that change and i think that's super important and gives us a super important message about what it is to be disfigured or what it what it is to be transfigured and i think mm -hmm. that is i don't know pretty cool so another I, another point that i think is interesting to make is that usually is that that happens a lot in um kind of more mainstream movies especially about werewolves and, and vampires vampires are the big one where somebody like is like oh i totally dig this but usually in a vampire movie, if they if the if the character like totally digs this, they stop being like a regular character and they kind of go off to the side and now they're kind of an extra to be killed or to be um, usually killed, or to be either killed or saved, right? And in this movie, we don't get that, right? It's just she, she maintains her central role as the central character in the in the movie. Yeah, and. Uh, like her her the the end of the movie is tragic for her for lots of different reasons but i don't think it's ever presented tragically that she has given herself up to this thing like it makes her scarier for sure but you mm -hmm. never like you never feel bad for her you know you never think for a moment Oh, if only you would have, you know, realized the monster that you were. I, I think it's I think as Ginger evolves in this movie, the movie's treatment of Ginger evolves as well, which is what makes this movie so freaking interesting. Because mm -hmm. it, it is it does not treat her as this one dimensional monster. There's a lot that goes into her and there's a lot that goes into her and her relationship with the uh, bee. So so kind of back to the back to the very ending i just thought it was so cool that she didn't turn back into a, a into into a human back at the end um and uh the article that that i that i kind of got that from is that lunatics and riot girls how ginger snaps reclaim the feminine power of the werewolf is really cool and 
I don't know if it reclaimed the feminine power of the world. I think that this is this is probably this is the only movie I can think of that has a f- female werewolf, right? Yeah, certainly as the main character. Yeah, totally. And and the driver of action, right? Yeah. And in that capacity, uh, uh, Deirdre Crimmins, the author of that article, the rightful error of werewolf iconography are women because of the connection to blood to the monthly cycle of the moon um and i think that argument and you should check out that article because it is really great makes a super simple but compelling argument that we should see a ass ton more uh female werewolf movies and to really you know exalt ginger snaps for for being that voice so i'm down for that same here man you know who's not down for it oh shit yeah that motherfucker is not down for anything anonymous amazon so this movie has got a pretty high score on on amazon oh it do it do it did yeah totally um and that's i think that's the cool thing about horror right is that you can have a really kind of smart idea you want to do some smart and different stuff with it. You don't have to spend a whole lot of money. You can get some tax credits from Canada and uh, you can do some practical effects and you've got a cult classic, right? Oh yeah. And I like use all the practical effects that you want. Tell an interesting story, but in a simple way. Yeah, dude, I think it's, it's badass. Yeah. But anonymous Amazon user, thought that this was another overrated B movie really should be an F movie from the Amazon library. Should we, how many times has that joke been used? It's not a B movie. It's an F movie. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like, it's a pretty, pretty tired joke right there. Anyways, uh, Bimbo goth chick sees her werewolf sister kill people. Oh, you know what? This reminds me. Um, one of the things that uh, that is pointed out in a lot of the uh, queer theory interpretations of this movie is that uh, right at the beginning of the movie, they describe uh, one of the uh, the kind of the normie girls as um, as a breeder, which I thought was that that I thought that was a pretty good line right there. Oh, no. you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that line, but that that is super interesting. And I have I have heard that term used in uh, gay communities to describe heterosexual relationships all the time. So interesting. I immediately thought it was like a goth thing, like they were antinatalists and they'd been reading too much oh, Thomas Lee. Fuck off! But, you were just you... looking to get that in. <laughs> Okay, so, um, yeah, bimbo goth chick sees her werewolf sister kill people and all she can do is hyperventilate like she's having an asthma attack. The special effects look so cheesy and fake. It's worse than the effects in American Werewolf in London. Oh, man, why you got to shit on that movie? And that movie was made 20 years before this ginger crap. We got a pun here. We got a pun, people. All right, people, we got a pun. If your choice is watching this or C-SPAN, choose the latter. That's harsh. It is harsh. First, <laughs> I love to watch C-SPAN, too, which is probably part of the reason why I like to host a nerdy horror podca- podcast every week. Jeez Louise. Second, 
fuck this person. They didn't like American Werewolf in London either. So, and finally, Bimbo Goth Chick. Oh, you're right. That's like uh, that's like the um, the Married Bachelor, right? It just can't exist, right? Yeah, and let, read that. Bimbo Goth Chick sees her werewolf sister kill people. So. It's not Ginger that's the bimbo. Oh. It's her sister. Oh, you're right. That makes zero sense. Like, huh. did this person watch the movie? Oh, man. Right. Yeah. Dude, th- this this is why hey, this is why you should have to pass a test. Anonymous Amazon user to used to be a B student. Now they're an F student. Ooh, <laughs> I love it. Got him. I love it. Got him. I love it. I love it. You, you got you got any puns to follow that up with? No, I don't. Fuck off. Uh, nope. I, I got nothing. How about anonymous Amazon loser? Mm. Anyways. Ooh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Hey, man. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we are going to talk about Mother and the Artur. What what what's an artur? It's like an artist, right? I don't know. I think it is. Okay, all right, it's cool. That's what we're going to talk about: mother and the artist. Yeah, artur. It, uh, all right, cool. Yes, uh, an artur is a filmmaker whose personal influences and artistic control over a movie are so great that the filmmaker is regarded as the author of the movie. Oh, very well then. All right, and this is mother with the exclamation point, right? Of course it is. Yep. Mm. Muy excelente. Okay, until next week. Class dismissed.